Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Welcome to the SoxProspects.com podcast. My name is Chris Hatfield, coming to you from Sox Prospects Mid-Atlantic offices here in our nation's capital. We're back. Spring training has begun. The Red Sox are playing games in Major League Camp. The Sox Prospects staff trip to the fort is booked. It's an exciting time, and we are excited to be back. Thank you for joining us. I'm joined by my co-host, Sox, Pro- Sox Prospects Director of Scouting, Ian Kundal, and Managing Editor, Matt Hegel. Gentlemen, welcome back. It's been a while. Hey, Chris and Ian. Good to be back on. Hi, guys. It's uh, it's good to get out of hibernation with winter over and uh, finally getting ramping things back up and getting ready for the season. Yeah, I, I, I in the meantime, have gotten some questions on, on Twitter from asking people, people asking where the podcast has been and, uh, frankly, a couple of reasons. First off, uh, it's been kind of a busy time for me at work. Um, that's hopefully about to ease up a little bit. Uh, in the coming couple of weeks, uh, though it's going to be a sprint to the finish. And uh, frankly, not not a lot was happening. Um, you know, we, we, I personally don't like recording episodes of the podcast just to record episodes of the podcast. Um, we had a couple guests we were talking to and couldn't really coordinate with, but uh, I don't like recording a podcast just so you can hear us BSing about nothing, uh, about, you know, meaningless minor league free agent signings and things like that. Um, but that said, we're, we're back into this. We've got a few ideas of guests we want to have on about news uh, happening both on and off the field. Uh, I just, just thought of one that I hadn't even talked to these guys about yet. But we, we are back, uh, and hopefully better than ever. Who knows? A uh, couple of notes. First, uh, we want to give a podcast welcome to Joe Tetralt, who is our new web, one of our new staff members at the site. He is a web editor and is going to be the podcast producer. He's going to be taking the reins on the editing and producing of the podcast going forward, which should be a huge help. Uh, honestly, you know, a lot of the reason that kind of, I, I, I hate to put it this way, but my presence on the podcast is necessary, one, because I'm the one who records it on my computer, and two, because I'm the one who produ- has been producing it, which involves uh, fixing any of the mistakes, which I'm actually going to have to be a lot more diligent about writing down because I can't just listen to the podcast back and find them. Uh, I need to be able to tell Joe where he needs to fix things. but uh, So it's going to be a huge help having him around to take that from me. Basically, that's another another hour plus, frankly. <coughs> and there's the first thing I'm going to have to tell him to fix. Ah, I should have gotten some water. Anyway, uh, but, you know, we're going to be able to tell Joe where mistakes are that he can fix. He'll be doing all the production uploading things like that that's going to take about an hour and a half off of my plate in terms of putting the podcast together so that's going to be a huge help so welcome to joe should also mention i guess the the other new hires at the site so we want to welcome 
uh, our new social media specialist, John Lyons Harrison, who I had the chance to meet actually at the uh, winter meetings. Great guy. Uh, Joe, in addition to Joe as a web editor, we have Allison Gagne joining the site as a web editor. I don't believe any relation to Eric Gagne, hopefully, but uh, who knows. Uh, and actually, Eric Gagne pitching in the World Baseball Classic, gentlemen. I don't know if you saw that. That's going to be hilarious. Uh, and finally, uh, Steve Guglielmo is our new digital editor. Uh, we'll be doing things like stat updates, social media, and web editing as well. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades um, for some of the positions we were looking to fill. So welcome to those four. Welcome to the staff. Uh, if anyone out there wants to join the staff, keep an eye on our news page, uh, especially in kind of the fall is when we post our help-wanted ads, I guess, for lack of a better term. So, uh, you know, we get notes from people during the year who want to join the site. If, we feel, if, if you feel like you can contribute something, Drop us a line, but that's uh, sort of when we post our, our job postings is, is in the fall after the season ends. Um, as always, you can, can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're up on YouTube. Uh, links to all of those outlets are in the post for this episode at news.socksprospects.com. Thanks, as always, to the Ludlow Thieves for our intro music. Uh, the song is called All the Money. You can find their stuff on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, etc., uh, also, we're going to be hitting some listener questions today. Since we're firing back up again, you can start sending those again to podcast at SoxProspects.com. We try and get to all of those. Uh, and finally, I wanted to give a heads up to everyone out there is that we're going to be starting, I, I believe it's called a, a Patreon. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but uh, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. What that is... Patreon. We'll be, Patreon, thank you. Uh, what that is, is it's a way for those of you out there who want to support the podcast to be able to support the podcast and, and if you're so inclined and basically what it is, is we do this for free uh, and we want to keep it free it will continue to be free as long as we're able to do that but um, we want to give some perks to those who support the show so I don't really want to give too much of a preview give things away especially if we don't wind up doing some of the ones we're planning on right now but um, for example one thing we're talking about is that giving at a certain level your email questions will jump the line uh, so to speak, and you will be able to definitely have your questions heard on that next episode uh, because sometimes we get more questions than we can handle in a given episode. So things like that, um, we'll be getting, rolling that out in the next few weeks, I believe. So keep your ears open here on the podcast for that and, and your eyes on news.socksprospects.com. Um, yeah, Chris, I was just going to add in quickly. Sure. The idea is that you give a dollar or two dollars or perhaps five dollars per episode, and then you get a perk based on that. So right. I just wanted to mention the uh, the mechanism of it. Right. Yeah. Sure. And, and like I said, we'll have the full details on that coming soon. How it works. Um, I I know mostly how it works, but I I definitely don't consider myself an expert on it yet. So, uh, but like I said, we'll be rolling that out soon. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. Uh, but without further ado, we have a lot to catch up on, but also not a lot to catch up on. Uh, our last episode was in December, early December, frankly, dealing with the fallout of the Chris Sale and Tyler Thornburg trades. Uh, but since then, you know, not a ton has happened. Uh, but it's it, it's ranking season, I guess. We're coming out of that, so maybe that should be our first topic. Um, and it was it's kind of funny, you know, guys. Recently, I did a, a radio spot, and one of the first questions that I was asked. Uh, by by our friends Ken Kale and Bob Lipman up in New Hampshire, and one of the first things they asked about was where uh, the where the Red Sox top prospects are going to be to start the season, and uh, my smart ass answer was in the San Diego Padres and Chicago White Sox systems, uh, but it's certainly a unique in terms of historically uh, ranking season and outlook for the system entering the 2017 season, or at least I think uh, where. 
there definitely is this, the uh, talent near the top that's been as good as we've seen in a while. Uh, you know, maybe the, the top headline here is that Andrew Benintendi has emerged as as probably the consensus top prospect in baseball, uh, which makes some sense when you consider that were it not for the ankle injury he suffered uh, during the, the season last year while he was in Boston, he would have graduated already. He would not be a prospect anymore. And so it makes sense, given the showing he had both in the minors and in the majors last year, that he's the consensus top prospect in baseball. Kind of like, reminds me a lot really of Corey Seager last year, frankly, where it's just kind of this sure thing who's very close to graduating, who is a top flight prospect. But there certainly is a lot we could digest there. So I guess, you know, starting with you, Ian, what's your sort of top-level view of what we're seeing in the rankings this offseason when you look at ours as compared to outlets like MLB.com, Baseball America, Keith Law at ESPN? I think when you look at it, uh, the first thing, as you said, is that the top three, it's pretty – I think every list yep. actually had the same top three to four guys. I think four. But after, I think it's four. I think everyone had Travis four. But after that, um, it kind of gets murky. And after that top three, for the most part, you're looking, those are the only really consensus top 100 guys. And all of them, though, happen to be, I think, consensus top 50 guys. Yeah, yeah, um, which surprised me. I thought Groom was going to be more of a top 75 guy, personally, given the off-field stuff. But it's kind of funny how the farther we get away from that, the more people are forgetting it. Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. I think also, too, that it helped that he did get up to Lowell last year. Mm-hmm. And so people got eyes on him more than, you know, some of the draftees who maybe didn't make it out of complex ball. So I think that his performance last year where he showed already kind of the traits that we'd seen coming out of uh, that made him so highly regarded coming out of high school helped. But then I think again, after, so you got that top four or five and I think Bobby Dahlbeck is in almost all the lists was in the top five around there or yeah, let's five see. or six well, range. So let's, let's just actually say it, uh, you know, the top three has been Andrew Benintendi, Raphael Devers, Jason Kroom, uh, Sam Travis has been number four, and five is where you start to have differences. Uh, for Dahlbeck, we've got him at five. Baseball America's got him at five. Uh, MLB.com has him at five. Uh, Keith Law's got him at seven behind Travis Travis Lakins and uh, Roniel Raudes, actually, which I found surprising, especially on Lakins, but we can talk about that Um for what a baseball prospectus list is kind of tough because it came out before uh, before the trades. So their quote number five is Brian Johnson, who is actually number nine for what it's worth. Uh, but at any rate, that's Dahlbeck. So go ahead, uh, Ian. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, but so you you have like similar names in that five to ten range for the most part. But then mm-hmm. after that, I just think it's it kind of <laughs> turns into a crapshoot. It really and, does. We were kind of talking about it before the recording, but, you know, you can make the case for guys that are like 15 could be as low as 30, 35. And there's guys, you know, in the 30 to 35, even down in the 40s that you could argue could be 25, 30 because they just what all these trades have done. And I think um, I think it was something like because Margot, I know, is in like the top 25. Moncada and Kopech are both in the top 25. Espinosa is in the top 25. When you're losing, you know, five, six consensus or top 100 prospects um the depth in the system takes such a big hit and i think at the top while it still is very strong with benintendi devers and groom the depth itself is just not there anymore and there really needs some second level guys to take big steps forward this year or we're going to start noticing in a few years the the thinning out and it's going to get it's going to be precipitous the fall off especially as benintendi's going to graduate this year 
Travis is going to graduate this year, most likely. And I wouldn't be shocked if Devers at some point makes it to the big leagues this year. Next year's list could be pretty troubling, we'll say. Uh, yeah. yeah with a, looking ahead. With a, with a late first-round pick. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, international guys are great, but, you know, international guys should not be entering your top ten, even if they're top-level international guys, except for the tippy-tippy top of guys in a good year. Well, you look at, like, this year, I think uh, – Kev, I think his name is Kevin Maiton. He was the big international guy the Braves, Braves signed, yep. and he was considered one of the top international prospects in the last couple of years, you know, up there on, like, the Miguel Sano level. Mm-hmm. And he barely made the top. Granted, the Braves system is loaded, but I think he didn't make – he wasn't a consensus top 100 prospect, and he's just around the 10 spot in their system. Yeah, Baseball America has him at 7 in that system. So he's in the low end, and that's, like, the top echelon type of prospect. You know, that's not like the guy you're signing for a million five who's just, you know, any some shortstop who has intriguing tools who's 15 or 16. That's like the high end, you know, once every couple of year type. So, yeah, they, they're not going to get any any sort of immediate impact or anything from those type of guys. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a slow rebuild. We'll see what happens. Right. Right. Uh, Matt, how about you? What it, the kind of a top level stands out? Is there anything different than what? You know, Ian was kind of talking about, or and if there's anything specific you wanted to delve into, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree for the most part. Like, you know, it's not, it's it's a, it's still a decent system when you look at it, like you guys are saying. I mean, when I look back at 2012, you know, Will Metalbrooks, Matt Barnes, Anthony Renato, Xander Bogarts by the end of the year was the top prospect, but those are some of the top guys, and you know, as far as the precipitous fall-off thing, I think a lot of things can change. Guys can emerge. Someone who's a you know a middling prospect can can skyrocket, or they can draft a guy like Mookie Betts who who skyrockets through the system. So, I mean, I think I think a lot can change as far as um, you know being being too worried about a drop-off in in the prospects going forward. I think, like you guys mentioned on, on another point. Um, I think it's interesting that the guys you see on some of these lists mm-hmm. who are just, just like, you know, in the 50s on our, like, Yisen Koka. I know uh, Ian, I think at, at Instructs, uh, liked what he saw a little bit out of him, but, he, you know, more of a, a long-range guy who maybe had some tools. I think, you know, he thought Ian thought he was a little bit small at the time and, and that sort of thing. Sometimes those guys go somewhere. Sometimes they're just sort of athletic guys who, you know, are the last guy included in a, in a trade type thing. But, you know, Yisan Coca is 25, Lorenzo Cedrola 24 on the on Baseball America list. Um, and those are guys, I think, in, in our 40 to 60 range. So mm-hmm. it's it's quite a discrepancy uh, once you get past, uh, you know, even like even the teens, basically. So, well, uh mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah if you ahead. if you look at Callis's Jim Callis's list, I should say MLB.com's list, but I think Jim's usually the one that puts it together. I mean, Lorenzo Cedrola is number sixteen on his list. Well, yeah, and, well. and I think part of that is though that you're when you look at the system, you know, you get down past. And we've I think we talked about on the last show the entire system from like twenty five to forty five is relievers, mm-hmm. and at some point it's just like yeah. would i rather have a reliever or take a shot on you know a 16 17 18 year old who's never played out a complex ball but has flashed a couple intriguing tools mm-hmm. and that's you know that's the dilemma and i think it's it's a little when when you have only 30 spots that you're that you're ranking you know i you it's more i feel like you you have more of the ability to go out on a limb and especially if you're only updating it like once a year take a shot on a guy right who might who may who might you know do something, um, show more, get stronger, and show more ability, and they're more you know more likely to do that than 
play the safe option and guy take like the floor guys, you know, the guys who might not, they're not going to be anything special, but you know, there's a sixth inning reliever in there or there's a seventh inning reliever in there. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's the other thing that I've kind of been noticing is I'll look at a list and I'll see a guy like, you know, I'll be surprised that for example, Keith law has Travis Lakins at number five on his list. And I'm like, and I'll say to myself, wow, that's, that's pretty high. And then I'll look at the Baseball America handbook where Lakins is number 13, and I'll see MIB.com has Lakins at, uh, they have him up at eight. And I'll just say, wow, like that's so much different than where we have him. But it's, the system's so thin that Lakins is 17 on our list, and I'm not even realizing it. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of surprising in, in that sense that, you know, we have guys who we've got a four projection on in the top 10. Uh, it's it's really striking, and it just goes to show, I think, although a lot of the names are the same, you know, I think looking at all of these lists this morning, kind of preparing, and last night, you know, that kind of next tier after the top five consists of, in some order, Brian Johnson, uh, Marco Hernandez, if you're ranking him, uh, because at some outlets they're considering him graduated based on service time, uh, C.J. Chatham, Josh Ockamy, Roniel Raudes, uh, and then some some folks have, you know, Travis Lakins up in that group. Uh, and then kind of after that, you've got Michael Chavis, Nick Longy, and, and then it turns into all the relievers, you know, and, and kind of the, you know, young uh, Latin American prospects that the team has. So it's 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 going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out, who moves up. Uh, the, the depth is just not there, I think, in position prospects at all. Uh, if you look at it, uh, looking at the – depth chart that we run on the site it's just it's striking how usually you just see some interesting guys in center field and shortstop and i mean you look at center field right now and it's just after jackie bradley you're looking at guys like yon ibar lorenzo cedrola joseph monhe um (laughs) you know at at shortstop it's bogarts in the majors and then nothing other than cj chatham basically i mean jeremy rivera is nice in terms of he can pick it but you know then you that's why you get guys like east and coca after pay, playing in the dsl showing up you know based on what they did down there and what they showed at instructs uh it there's just not a lot of depth in in terms of hitters and i think that's going to sneak up on them once you know it's great for right now while you've got bogart's bets bradley benatendi under contract but you know, if they're going to rely on a guy after Sam Travis, really, I, there's just not a lot there for me other than Devers uh, in the minors to come up and fill a role in the majors other than a bench spot for at least two years, maybe three. So, I don't know. It, it's it's very striking to me to just see the lack of depth and how it's showing up uh, on the on these lists. Yeah, I think it's true, definitely, that there's a lack of depth. I, it's interesting, though, when you look at the top, you know, 12, I think there's only three pitchers in there. So I think that's pretty uh, more position heavy than than um, than than usual. But yeah, I mean, the depth's not there. And there's definitely a gap between, like you said, Travis and then Devers, Benintendi. And then, yeah, then then who's the next guy up? Dahlbeck, I guess. Yeah, or... And, and that's Longy, if they rush him maybe. to Salem. Yeah, yeah, I guess Longy, but, um, you know, you've got... Knows? yeah. yeah in terms of kind of sure-ish things or, or guys you can project for a starting role in the majors at this point. Um, the other thing I guess we should mention, and a question I have for you guys, is say Ben Sherrington 
doesn't get fired and does his best Ben Sherrington impression and doesn't trade anybody in the past two years. And you're looking at a system that still includes looking at Baseball America's list. In addition to number one overall prospect, Andrew Benintendi, you have number two prospect, Yohan Moncada. Okay. You've got uh, Rafael Devers at 18. You've got Anderson Espinosa at 21. Manuel Margot at 24. Uh, uh, Michael Kopech at 32 uh, and then Jason Groom at 43 all in the top 50 is this the best farm system this club has ever had yeah I, don't, I think it, and then it's not even close right the I think it has, has to, be. to be I think so I mean that's it, how it, many in the top 50 that I just say seven and it's just it's not just that it's seven you know back end top 50 guys you've got three or four elite prospects in addition. Two. And then you, yeah. And, but I, I would consider Devers in that same like category though. And then see, so you, you've got the elite guys, then you have the depth and you have some position versatility. You know, you've got outfielders, you've got infielders, you've got left-handed pitcher, you got a right-handed pitcher. You just like, they, they covered all that would have had, you know, all, uh, all very, all avenues were covered with that list right there. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's not just BA's list, just going really quick down MLB's list. Benintendi 1, Moncada 2. Okay, and then you jump down. They actually have Kopech at 16, which I think is really aggressive. Devers at 17. Manuel Margot at 23. Anderson Espinosa at 25. So that's, what, 6 of the top 25 that I just say? Jason Groom at 41. Um, it's actually kind of striking how similar this list is to, to Baseball America's list. And I think Well, it's... ESPN's even more. ESPN has seven in the top 25 because Benintendi's one. Then Kopech is seven. Devers is 11. Uh, Moncada's 17. Groom's 20. Espinosa's 21. Margot's 24. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. So, <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a lot of top uh, 25 prospects right there. Yeah. But then again, you could also argue that that's uh, wasteful, right? I mean, that's you don't know oh, I mean, that you don't many prospects. Guys. When you're competing, you don't. I mean, that's yeah. that's the thing. You know, go get Chris Sale with that. That's why when they made the Chris Sale trade, I didn't mind what they gave up. No, we know? talked about it. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I think people sometimes say we're, you know, we're all, why would you, their prospects, they're not sure things. All you guys want to do is just save all of them. I think we came on here after the Chris Sale trade and said, yeah, that was fine. Yeah. I mean, they kept they kept Evers, who's clearly, they bought. Uh, earmarked as a third baseman of the future. Yep. They kept Benintendi, who's going to be a starting outfielder this year, and they kept Jason Groom, who pro- looks like their top pitch or is the top pitching prospect now. Well, let's just say and they kept so, Jason Groom, who's one of the three of Groom, Espinosa, and Kopech. I don't think it necessarily yeah. had to be Groom for yeah, true. Reason. You're right, but yeah, they kept one of the big three pitchers. I mean, that was fine what they gave up there, and you know, I don't think we had any issue with that. And I think it's more going back like. The only deal that really, I mean, they overpaid in the Kimbrel deal. I think we all agree on that, but that is what it is. They didn't give up anything. Like, Margot wasn't going to play here. The outfield's full right now, and he's big league ready. Right. And then the other guys, I mean, like Javier Guerrero, I didn't think could hit at the time, and he didn't hit last year. I still think there's a chance he's a big leaguer because of his glove, but that's besides the point. But I think the only one still that I go back to is the Pomerantz Espinosa deal. That's the one that bothers me the most because, well, not even knowing now after the fact that Pomerantz was damaged goods, but even at the time, it just seemed like such an overpay and such a short-sighted move. And still, I mean, Pomerantz isn't even a guarantee to be in the rotation this year. 
Well, that's what I was just about to say. You traded yeah. a top 25 prospect in the game for a guy who might be your longer reliever in two months. And that's just, yeah. that and There were just so many red flags at the time, and they were even, and that was before the medical stuff was known, and then the medical stuff after the fact, and it just, yeah, that one just, I never got, I didn't get it at the time, and I still don't. And, and I've said this, is that <laughs> even if, you know, even, I agree with you, what you said about the Kimbrel deal, but the fact that that's an overpay, the reason it matters that you overpaid is that wouldn't it have been nice to have Manny Margot at the trade deadline this year to trade for Drew Pomer- Pomerantz? You know what I mean? And that's also an overpay. But then you still have Espinoza. You know, it, yeah. it's and that's what we said at the time of the Kimbrel deal. It's like the reason overpays matter is because even if it turns out that Guerra falls off, right, which yeah. he did, Carlos yeah. Asuaje came up. Yeah, and Logan Allen had a good year at low A too. He had a fine year. I mean, Logan Allen, I would say, probably held steady. Um, he didn't make yeah, the no. jump we thought he could make, but he also didn't fall off. Um, no, I think he had like a close to three ERA. But right. yeah, he didn't. He but like, if, but even him, like you take Logan Allen in the system right now. Logan Allen's probably the number six prospect, number seven prospect. Well, looking at the list as it stands right now, I put him ahead of Brian Johnson. Yes. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I would do too. Yes. So I probably have him at six. So you're you know that was and he was probably like a throw in in that deal more or less. He was the third guy. Yeah. So I. Yeah, that's the debatable. Guy. He was the fourth guy. They like this one a lot. Who was yeah, the guess... fourth? Logan Allen. Oh, well, no, he was the third guy in a swat. He was definitely the fourth guy by a lot, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But, yeah. But, anyway, but, yeah, like, even if you take, like, him out and you put him back in the system right now, given where it is now, like, back at the time, it was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, he was, like, the number, I think, he was probably in the teens. And, you know, at the time, it's like, oh, that's fine. You know, you, you traded four guys who were about top 20. But now, slowly but surely, with each of these big package deals where you gave up four guys there, four guys to Chicago, three guys to Milwaukee, another guy to San Diego, you know, that's where the depth is all gone. It's being distributed to other teams. Well, so, mean, Using Baseball America's ratings, right, and I mean, <clears throat> this, this probably squares with what I would do, Carlos Asuaje is a top 10 prospect in the system as well right now. Oh, for sure. So he's, <laughs> he's probably the number C. Probably sl- I'd probably slot him in ahead of Marco Hernandez. Or at least he's right, right around Mark. He's he's very similar to Marco Hernandez so for me. Yeah, that's that's the thing, and it's like, did you need? To, yeah, Swahe is a thrown in. You could say, well, Guerra fell off. Well, yeah, but then some of the other guys came up. So you're still giving up the same amount of value for a guy when you probably could have taken one of those players out, or at least gotten something else back. So we're we're rehashing things we've already talked about on here. So we'll move on. But um, I will say though, yeah. could we like moving on to what's in the system now? Yep. It, it really makes spring training this year very interesting for me mm-hmm. because not only do I want to see who the guys they're giving the playing time to, like which guys are starting the games, um, who's getting the most at bats, where they're playing. But it's also it, it like the system is so open that if a guy takes a step forward, it's going to be very noticeable this year. Yep. In the past, that might have gone fallen under the rug or, you're, you're, you know, you're kind of you're so focused on the top guys this year, none of those guys. I mean, Benintendi is obviously going to be with the big club. Devers will probably be with the big club still. Travis is going to be with well, the big club, as alluded end, to. End of the year, you're saying? No, 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 I'm talking about during spring training, though. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I think Devers will be down by the time we get there. Bogarts won't be there, though, so they'll need an infielder. Uh, well, yeah, but that's why you have Rutledge and Hernandez and. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Then you well, should stop more than third base. Yeah, that's a good point. So Devers might be, but for the most part, you know, it's just going to be. It's yeah. going to be a lot of guys, you know, looking to make a mark. And for his past years, you know, there's that top end talent that everyone's going to be focused on. Now it's such a crapshoot that it's 
who's going to stand out. And that's kind of intriguing to me. You know, I, I, do we have to go to, I do have to say there's, well, I guess, I guess Devers, if he's down, will be with Port, with Pawtucket just based on he'll be, he'll be still playing above, a yeah. level above where he'll be. But otherwise yeah. that Pawtucket roster might be oh. rough. <laughs> that might not. That's not going to be must see TV. I don't think. Dombrowski yeah. kept openly saying, "Like I've been trying to get guys, they just don't want to sign here because they don't think they'll have the opportunity." Well, I mean, he's not wrong though. Yeah, right. He, they need they need guys and they can't get them because they see the big league. The big league roster is pretty much set, and then at the key positions they have a backup already. You know, you've got Travis at first base, you got Hernandez for the middle infield, and you got Swihart for catcher. And out, I guess the only position would be outfield, maybe. But oh, they've got Chris Young as their as their fourth outfielder already. So it's like Brock Holt is the fifth, technically. Yeah, and so if I'm like a, if I'm an agent of a you know one of those priority um, minor league free agents that teams mm-hmm. target, where where's the playing time coming from? Right. You know, there's no opportunity. Would you rather sign here, or would you sign with like Kansas City or you know San Diego or someone who has five or six open roster spots at the end? Right. So. Right. 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 Um, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's see. Moving kind of along a little bit here, um, it's been two months, so there have been a number of off-season moves. And I guess maybe the way we'll do this is I'll go through all the other off-season moves that have happened since we recorded. And I realized that we didn't record anything after the Rule Five draft, probably because nothing important happened. Um, or maybe did we talk during the Rule Five draft? I don't think we did. Um, the Red Sox lost no. a couple guys, but. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, yeah, because we hopped right on after the uh, after the day of trading on December sixth. So two days later was the Rule Five draft, and I guess what I'll do, guys, is we'll go really quick. Tell me if this significant, if it's significant or not, and if it's significant, we'll talk about it a little bit. But uh, on December eighth was the Rule Five draft. The Red Sox selected Josh Rutledge in the major league phase. Uh, I think we can agree that's not even really within our purview. He's competing to be the backup infielder i just um, like that he was on the roster at the end of the season and they had to reselect him in the rule five draft that was entertaining well because the, <laughs> the reason and what he said is the reason he didn't sign with them to prove your point was because the opportunity didn't appear to be there to be on yeah. the major league roster and then they went and got him and can only keep him on the major league roster <laughs> <laughs> well i think part of it also was like travis shaw was still there and, oh right and, uh, right maybe someone else that i'm not thinking of <laughs> But I think he made that point also when he was saying that quote. I think I think Shaw was the big one he meant. Well, that if if he didn't mention it, it was mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, because that was right after the the right. Shaw trade was two days earlier. Right, right. Um, so actually, you could say it's probably a direct result of the Shaw trade. Um, yeah. And then in the minor league phase, the Red Sox selected Harrison Cooney from the Angels, who's going to be rehabbing from Tommy John, and Josh Smith from the Pirates, uh, who's basically a a young pitcher who has issues control with control um, of the of the throwing variety not of the you know temper variety uh, and that that day the Red Sox also signed Mitch Moreland and DFA'd Williams Harris uh, the Red Sox lost Justin Haley uh, who was selected by the Angels and then traded twice to the Padres and then finally to the Minnesota Twins uh, and the Baltimore Orioles selected outfielder Anuri Tavares. I think we kind of pegged that those were the two guys who were most likely to be picked. Uh, anything there significant, uh, Matt? Um, I guess um, Haley Haley was a, a decent prospect. He had a good year last year, um, and I, I think he's. I, I don't know. I would guess coming back. I, I know Minnesota held um, Ryan Presley, who uh-huh. they 
pick from the Red Sox a few years ago in a situation somewhat similar where I didn't think actually he had even less experience. I didn't think they'd be able to hold him and they did. So maybe they'll make an effort to hold Haley. I don't know that he's that kind of prospect that is worth it, but we'll see. And Anari Tavares is, I think the Baltimore loves their rule fives. I think he has a chance to make it on the bench. Um, I don't, again, not probably not a huge loss, um, but maybe like a fifth, fifth outfielder type at, at, at the best probably. So not nothing too significant. Mm-hmm. Williams Harris getting DFA'd was kind of um interesting too. Um cleared and he Yeah, he cleared, didn't get didn't get picked uh, up by anyone else. So you know, with the state of the system we still kept him uh somewhat I think maybe we bumped him down a few spots since then, but um he's still I think in the top forty, so he's you know, uh we'll see if he can bounce back. He had a pretty poor year last year. I'd say he's probably one of the guys in the top 40 who we wish wasn't in the top 40. <laughs> yeah, probably fair. Right. Um, Ian, I guess your quick thoughts on the Rule 5 guys. Yeah, I. it's not surprising those guys were taken. Um, as you said, we those are the two that we had kind of identified as most likely to be selected. And I'm not really surprised at the two teams they ended up with either. As you said, the Twins, it's in Fort Myers. They get a lot. They get, they've seen Haley a lot. Right. And uh, with the Orioles, the Orioles just love Red Sox prospects. So, well, the Orioles I mean, love Matt's right. They love their rule five. I mean, Duquette, they, they kept two last year, didn't they? Well, no, but it's not just that. It's that like Duquette, like if you look at their farm system, like the Michael Almanzar's there, they had, um, what Jason was the outfield? They, they, they selected Jason Garcia a couple years ago, but they had, uh, Ronald Bermudez was there for a while. Like whenever the Orioles triple A team comes to Pawtucket, there's usually like three or four X Red Sox on the team. Yeah. It's like, it's and, like uh, twins, a Jace in that yeah, sense. It's really interesting. And so, yeah, it's, um, I'm not surprised that they took Tavares. As Matt said, he, he had a really good year last year. He took a big step forward with his plate discipline and his approach, cut down the strikeouts, got on base a little more. And when you've got speed, you can play all the outfield positions and you can, you can make contact, you know, that's a chance as a bench outfielder these days. So mm-hmm. that's not a, I think there's a chance he sticks, especially as last year they, they, um, they kept around. What was the guy's name? Joey Rickard from right. uh, from Tampa Bay, who has a very similar profile to Tavares. Well, no, wasn't Gadel the one from Tampa that they kept around? Uh, Joey. Oh no, Joey Rickard was Texas, I think. Right, right. Gadel was the guy from from who got I think it's Goodell. taken. Goodell. Sorry. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I think, but Rickard ended up. I think it was their, their leadoff hitter and starting center fielder for a good portion of the year. And um, then he yeah, turned. Then so. he turned back into a Rule Five pick. Yeah. But eh, people only remember the first couple months. Right, right. Um, all right, moving along with the transactions, some that will probably be quick. Um, I guess what we'll do, jump in if you want to talk about any of these. Um, December 9th, Red Sox signed uh, minor league free agent Junior Lake to a minor league deal. December 12th, did I say June? December 9th. Uh, December 12th, Matt signed minor league free agent Matt Dominguez to a minor league deal, third baseman. Uh, December 14th, re-signed Dan Butler to a minor league deal, signed uh, minor league free agent Marcus Walden to a minor league deal, uh, Walden a reliever, Uh, Butler obviously a catcher, and I'll mention one that comes later on in the month is it was announced that uh, catcher Jake Romanski was placed on the restricted list for suspension for uh, violating the um, minor league drug policy. I think it was for amphetamines, correct? Um, Actually, I can just click on his profile because I updated it. Uh, yeah, for amphetamines. Um, I think the Dan Butler signing was probably a direct response to the Romanski issue. Does that sound right to you guys? Yeah. yeah. The, 
gives them a backup catcher with familiarity with the pitchers. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised anyway they, if they sign him. You know, they always yeah. want extra catchers, but that's true. You know, makes that's sense. Um, December sixteenth. Uh, let's see. Uh, avoided arbitration with Brandon Workman. Outrighted Williams Harris after he cleared waivers. We had that. Um, we have some cuts on December nineteenth. Uh, DSL or yeah, he was in the DSL last year. Pitcher Nicolo Clemente from Italy. Uh, sad to see him go. Uh, always nice to have a kid from Italy in the system. Um, released Reed Gragnani, who has since rejoined the organization as a uh, coach. He's going to be a coaching assistant in Salem this year. Um, released Mike McCarthy, uh, kind of up and down arm in AA and AAA. Uh, released Keel McKickern, uh, a ball reliever. Released uh, GCL infielder Rafael Oliveras. Uh, released low A, or I guess short season A infielder Andy Perez. Released uh, rookie ball reliever Max Sto- Brad Stone and Max Watt. Same thing, rookie, uh, rookie ball reliever. So that was kind of the initial round of cuts. Uh, on December 20th, traded, tra- traded Clay Buckholz to Philadelphia for Josh Tobias. And I think we should mention this really quickly. Uh, I think people have kind of forgot about it because I think we've kind of all really digested it. But any reason to think this is anything other than a salary dump? Ian. Or Matt, you're about to jump in. Do it. Well, yeah, I don't know. I I, I kind of tend to think they they liked something in Josh Tobias, and um, think maybe there's something there as a guy who, you know, maybe has good hitting ability, um, but but doesn't doesn't flash all the tools, doesn't necessarily stand out as a top prospect, but maybe the type of guy who can um, kind of be under the radar and make it as a, a bench guy or something like that. I don't know. I tend to think that that they they at least see something there. Ian, any thoughts on that or just? Yeah, no, I'd agree with Matt. I think they 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 liked something about Tobias, um, and especially since, as you kind of alluded to earlier, there's a lack of middle infield depth in the system. That you know he's granted he's 24 already, but he's second baseman, and they like something. So it, we'll see. You never know. It's worth a flyer. I mean, it's not like it buckles had didn't have a ton of value, especially given his salary. So, right. Right. Um, all right. Let's see. I mentioned the Romanski suspension, uh, December 25th signed Brian Bogusevich to a no Bogusevic to a minor league deal. Another triple a outfielder, uh, on December 26th signed old friend, hike, hike, Manessis, uh, utility man for, back from the twins, uh, he'll be in double a AA or triple a and signed minor league free agent infielder, Jose Rosario, Again, a whole not a lot of nothing. Uh, let's see. Earlier this month, signed the following minor league free agents: uh, Sean Haviland, who was here last year, former Harvard pitcher, Triple uh, A rotation depth. Uh, old friend Cesar Cabral, left-handed relief pitcher, Triple A. Uh, Eric Cordier, Cordier or Cordier, who uh, spent last year in Japan and uh, formerly of the Royals, Braves, Pirates, Giants, and Marlins systems. A little bit of major league experience, but uh, another AAA arm. Uh, Tyler Spoon, catcher in the lower minors, also placed on the restricted list after being suspended for amphetamines. Uh, let's see. Mario Alcantara signed elsewhere. That's not us, the Red Sox signing anyone. Let's see. Oh, signed Kyle Kendrick to minor league deal on January the 18th. Uh, let's see. Oh, claimed Steve Selsky off waivers from Cincinnati. He is a first baseman outfielder who does not play center field, 
who in his first game in spring training played center field. So there's that, I guess. Uh, let's see. On January 27th, signed Cuban pitcher Jorge Fernandez, who is 25, has not pitched in an organized league since 2014, and it's a little strange. I think he'll be competing for spot in Salem and Camp, and I doubt he makes a team, but we'll see. Uh, and in February, they've signed minor league free agents Mike Olt, Carlos Quentin, Mitchell Osnowitz, and now have purchased the contract from the, of Victor. Uh, sorry, Hector Velasquez, not Victor Velasquez. That'd be really cool. Um, but Hector Velasquez from the Mexican League. <sighs> um, basically, hold on. Like, I guess we should mention really quick Olt and Quentin guys. Uh, anything there? Smoke where there where there's fire there, or or nothing going there, uh, Ian. Uh, I think it's it's interesting with more Olt than Quinn because Olt was once highly regarded. I think he was once pretty like a top thirty. I want to say maybe even top okay top thirty prospect, and he just had I think he had an eye issue. I want to say and just couldn't make contact anymore. And so, I mean, there's he had big raw power back in the day. I think he mm-hmm. was looking at his player page. He once hit 20, 28 home runs in Double A in twenty twelve, mm-hmm. and got some big league time that year. And so maybe you know who knows? Maybe you get it, get him working with a hitting coach who can figure something out, and he can turn into a bench bat. You never know. Um, Quentin's like I don't thirty four, thirty five, and hasn't played in the big leagues in two years. So I don't think there's much there. Yeah, with old we He's should supposed- mention. Go ahead. Um, yeah, Quinn supposedly lost like 30 pounds or something. So, yeah. um, I mean, something to keep an eye on. Maybe he's more mobile. We'll see. <laughs> Not expecting much. And old, I don't know if this is what you were going to say, but old had a, had a pretty rough year in double a last year. So, right. um, it's, yeah, like you recognize the name when, when they got him, but looking at that, I'm kind of skeptical, but. I'm not sure. I haven't heard any like anecdotal, too much anecdotal stuff about him or why he might be better this year type thing. I, I don't we'll think, see. I don't think he even got a non-roster invite. I mean, that's kind of says it all right there, frankly. Uh, yeah, he didn't even get an invite to major league spring training. There are people who, when he signed, were all freaking out thinking he was going to like compete for a major league job, but he's not even in major league camp. So there's nothing there guys. Uh, and I'll add one thing. Do you know where Mara Alcantara signed? <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, of course he signed with Baltimore. Um, yep. <laughs> Alcantara, I, I mentioned him because he was also suspended. Um, and so he's he's going to be suspended for the first 50 games of the year. So The, the guy – sorry, the guy, I was going to say the guy that stands out there maybe of the guys you, you um, mentioned there is Kyle Kendrick is a guy who might actually – get major league starts at this at some point this year if he um can have a decent time in AAA and of course the um Brian Bannister effect <laughs> <Yep>. uh, <laughs> we'll see see if he can do anything there but there's already been stories about that yeah I was gonna say the articles are already coming out about how Kyle Kendrick and I mean to, to some degree I think a lot of it is kind of I don't know I, I don't want to take anything away from Bannister who's supposedly very good who's clearly very good at his job but um if he's actually drawing free agents, that's good. I think his effect is maybe being a little oversold uh, a bit here. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. But uh, but that said, it's it's uh, and, interesting. In, in general, any time like any uh, sort of miracle cure, miracle change type type mm-hmm. thing or guy or you know workout or anything like that, I'm I'm pretty skeptical until it's uh, proven again and again, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing, actually, I, I, Kendrick has an opt-out, right? 
I believe so, yeah. He's got an opt-out. I, I just thought it was interesting that in past years, there's usually like three or four guys in camp with those opt-outs. But I oh. think that kind of uh, lends back to what we were saying about how that agents just don't see an opportunity with the Red Sox. So it looks like looking at our page that Kendrick is the only guy they signed who has an opt-out. Well, that we know of. Um, that we, know, I guess so, yeah. There are other guys who I, I'm sure uh, Quentin probably has one. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I I think a lot of times that happens with relievers. Maybe I'm yeah. misremembering, but they're so deep at reliever in, in AAA. Yeah. Um, they actually have it. It's interesting on our projections. You're right. They have five 40 man roster guys yeah. who are yeah. relievers currently. Right. That's a lot. <laughs> in AAA, yeah. And then, and then yeah. the three more that were non roster invitees. Yeah. Uh, which is actually, I mean, to have their entire guys, bullpen. Their entire <laughs> projected Pawtucket bullpen is in Major League Camp right now. Plus Carson <laughs> Smith coming back. Well, plus three guys who are projected for the double A bullpen in Taylor Maddox and Callahan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. They have bullpen depth, especially righties, but <laughs> right. So yeah, right. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Just to round back real quick to the Rule Five stuff, going to rosterresource.com, they project, and this is not the be all end all, but they do project Haley to make the Twins. Um, they do not project Inori Tavares to make uh, the the Orioles, which I think makes sense because the Orioles in the outfield now have uh, since they traded for Seth Smith. Uh, they have Adam Jones, Seth Smith, and uh, Hyunsoo Kim on the Major League roster is starting. And then they have they, they re-signed Mark Trumbo to be the DH, I guess, which is a lot better spot for him than when they were playing him in the outfield last year. And they also have uh, Joey Rickard still on the roster, as well as both Ryan Flaherty and Anthony Santander, uh, who can, in theory, Santander is another Rule 5 guy, uh, who saw so basically he's competing with Tavares for what looks like the last Ross, last bench spot. So if they get Tavares back, that actually would be useful because yeah, they, they could use him. That's like, he would be, I would say after Selsky, probably the, the next outfield call up mm-hmm. um, yeah, of the guys sense. project. We have projected for the minors because they're not calling up Castillo because of his contract. And yeah. Yeah. Well, so the so. non roster invite outfielders. So Steve Selsky is an outfielder who's on the 40 man roster who will be in AAA to start the year. And then you've got Rusine Castillo, who's not coming up, as you mentioned. Brian Bogusevic uh, and Alan Craig and Junior Lake are the non roster invitee outfielders. And you would think if Tavares comes back, they, if, unless it's really late in camp, he comes back into Major League camp, I would assume. And he'd probably be starting in AAA, frankly, if he came back. He's probably the starting right fielder in AAA, yeah. I would say, because I think that's where he played the most, I want to say, with um, yeah. with yes. Portland. Because he's a weird one, because he doesn't play center field, or at least didn't last year. Even though he's got speed. Even though he has speed, yeah. yeah. So. Yep. Um, all right, well, let's uh, move on from that. Uh, really quick fall-winter league recap. Uh, let's see here, guys. Um, the, the contingent in Arizona was interesting based on three guys who are no longer in the organization and Yon Moncada, Michael Kopech, and Mauricio Dubon. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip over the Arizona Fall League, and we, we probably recapped that anyway. I just thought it's interesting that almost half of the contingent that was in Arizona for the Red Sox is now gone. Uh, let's see, big-name prospects who were in, in winter leagues. I guess the top one is obviously Rafael Devers, who is playing down in the Dominican League. Uh, hit 243, 282, 297 in 74 at-bats for Escodito, Escogido. Um, not, not really worried about that myself because, frankly, he's really young for the, the Dominican League. The Dominican League is actually pretty good and usually has more of a AAA uh, level type uh, difficulty level. So not too worried about that. 
worth noting that part, probably part of the reason Haley got picked is he shoved down there in 23 innings. His ERA was 038. So uh, that was interesting. Uh, Rowenis Elias uh, threw pretty well down there in 43 innings. He had a 227 ERA, 131 whip, 37 strikeouts to 19 walks. He threw pretty well down there. Uh, that's about it. Marco Hernandez hit 286, 304, 421 for Lycee. Uh, Hanley Ramirez played a little bit at the end of warm-up for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, but that's about it for the Dominican. Actually, Anori Tavares, if we're going to mention Hanley, Tavares actually hit pretty well down there, too, hitting 283, 349, 362 with three home runs. Uh, should mention Marco Hernandez had four home runs, which is interesting. Uh, that might be as many as he had all of last year, frankly. Uh, let's see, in Pawtucket, he had five home runs and one more in Boston. So uh, nice to see a little pop out of him. Uh, in Venezuela, obviously the big story was Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez getting hurt again. Uh, apparently the knee is pretty close to healthy. Is he throwing yet, or is he throwing early this week? Or was it early this past week? I'm kind of getting my weeks crossed up. I don't think he's throwing yet. I think he's about to throw. Okay, so he's I'll about to throw. Um, other than that, I mean, not a whole lot happening down there. Luis Isla pitched nine innings for Margarita. Basically is a loogie. Um, he in nine. He, he threw nine innings. I bet he he pitched. Actually, I could just go to his profile. Yeah, he threw nine point one innings in fourteen appearances. Uh, ERA below two, seven strikeouts to four walks, uh, whip of oh six four. He threw pretty well down there. Uh, on the other side of the ball, no one really of note. Yeah, so on Eduardo Rodriguez, he threw for the first time yesterday live live BP. So okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Uh, let's see in Puerto Rico. A uh, little interesting. Rusne Castillo uh, played for Caguas, and his team actually not only won the Puerto Rican League, but also the Caribbean Series. Uh, he hit 392, 431, 451, and 51 at bats uh, for Caguas. Uh, meanwhile, Christian Vasquez, Christian Vasquez for Santurce hit 237, 233, oh, sorry, 333, 320 with two home runs and 97 at bats. Worth mentioning that Castillo didn't hit any home runs down there. I, I think it's kind of more of the same, basically. Uh, a lot of bad at ball and play luck, frankly. Uh, and Yosef Monhe uh, hit 265-294-306 for Santurce as well as an outfielder. Uh, otherwise, not a whole lot to report. Uh, Daniel McGrath was the only pitcher down in the Australian League, only player in the Australian League for, for the Red Sox. He had an ERA above six. Didn't really throw all that great, but uh, again, he kind of came in late in the year. I think it was more just kind of getting himself ready than anything. Otherwise, not really a whole lot to report on. Uh, the Venezuelan development program, uh, kind of your your stars of the show, so to speak, were uh, old Marino Campana with 315, 380, 427. I'm trying to think of who the kind of prospects down there were. Lorenzo Cedrola hit 360 uh, for that club, but he's a little old for the league, frankly. Isla actually pitched, but he's pretty old for the league too. Yeah, well, he was. Yeah, he. I think it was just to get him warm. He pitched three innings. Yeah, just for three innings. Yeah, Margarita's team. Uh, in the league, so he just went down and, and got some some quick work, and that that, ha- that happens. The teams will do that because uh, those, those innings were all early in the year, uh, but not a whole lot to report from down there. Frankly, there was no oh my god, is Michael Almanzar actually for real? Like we had one year, which turned out to not be the case. So that's the fall winter leagues. Not a whole lot to report on there, but wanted to mention it. Um, we kind of touched briefly on, you mentioned the, the Eduardo Rodriguez thing, but news from the fort guys, not a whole lot really to report on from down there. Everyone's in the best shape of their lives, including Andrew Benintendi, who apparently put on the, the proverbial 15 
pounds of muscle in the offseason. Uh, I don't know if you guys are reading anything into that. I'm certainly not. I think it'll help him during the year to stay healthy more than anything uh, rather than actually lead to a whole lot more power. What do you guys think, Ian? Yeah, he – I mean, we kind of talked about last year. He's really small. Yeah. And – even last year, he, you know, you had to wonder because there is a, it's such a grind the major league season that especially when he was probably like 180 pounds last year, maybe 170, you know, how much was he going to wear down as the season? But that could definitely help him uh, sustain the grind. But I don't think it's going to change anything. You know, he's not going to go out there and hit like 30 home runs or anything. But mm-hmm. I think it's just more like day to day maintenance and consistency will be helped by that. Yeah, and uh, kind of the biggest story early in camp was that Blake Swihart had the yips, guys. Uh, couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher and it's now go figure fine uh any anything there to that matter you just kind of moving on already no i'm uh moving on um i i i I don't know i guess the more interesting story with that is the the whole catcher competition and um i don't know i think i just saw a story this morning like would it make sense to try swihart at third but you know it's kind of yeah i mean no it's tough to just switch him into any position you need at the time so that that seems pretty risky to me to just keep moving him around. So I don't like that right now. But um, maybe I mean I do. I, third is an idea I had long term for him down the line if uh, if catching doesn't work out. But I absolutely agree that that he should st- they should like they should have stuck with him last year. That was uh, yeah. that was a weird move when they put him in the outfield. Yeah, it's interesting to me to have a club, and this maybe is talk, touching a little bit more on the major league club than we need to. But where the starting catcher entering the year. There's a scenario where he's not even on the team anymore at the end of the year, and that's a good thing. Does that make sense? You know, so you're saying if like Sandy Leone struggles again and Swihart is going to actually hit? If he turns back into a pumpkin, yeah. Which he did for most of the second half last year. Right, and I, and I honestly don't think it's much of a catcher, quote, competition entering the year because when you've got three guys, one of whom has options... Yeah, no, it's not a competition. Well, Sandy Leone and Vasquez are your starting, or your two major league catchers to at least open the season. Yeah, I don't think I there's see. any question. And I, and I think you have to at least start with Leone getting maybe three, out, four out of every seven starts. Oh, definitely, because you can't. Vasquez will not. You cannot put him in. He doesn't have the bat to play five, four, five, six days a week. I mean, as great as he is defensively, he'll hit like two ten with a two thirty on base and like a three hundred slugging if he was to play every day, like he just doesn't have the bat to carry sustain that position. And we say that, you know, we, we always talk about how, how little uh, hitting matters at the catcher position, blah, 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 but you have to hit at least a little. And yeah, Vasquez, I mean, who knows, maybe he, he's made some changes mechanically this year, but from what we've seen recently, it's just, the bat's just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Anything else? I mean, I guess we could mention the non-roster invites. As far as prospects go, uh, the the interesting ones for me, obviously, we mentioned Sam Travis. I don't think that that's surprising. I think it makes a whole lot of sense, especially when you consider that he's basically going to be the number two first baseman on the depth chart behind Mitch Moreland for much of camp while Hanley Ramirez is gone for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense that he's up there. Uh, some of the other non-roster invites from AAA don't really surprise me that much. Maybe I guess you could mention Chandler Shepard. Um, interesting he's getting a non-roster invite. Uh, but the biggest one is obviously Raphael Devers. And, and to me, this really strikes me as the, hey, you might be up late in the year, but this is more about getting you exposed to Major League Camp, you know, getting you to see what Dustin Pedroia's daily workout is like, getting you to see how 
you know, guys like Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley and Xander Bogarts prepare themselves to play in a major league game, getting around these guys so that next year, where you maybe are a lot more of a consideration for the major league roster, you know what you what's expected of you going in. I, I personally think he's back in minor league camp by the time we get there. St. Patrick's Day weekend, guys. I, I don't know what you think, but that's how I read into that. Yep, I, I mean, I tend to agree with that. Um, I guess to throw out another – well, we already mentioned Kyle Kendrick. I, I was looking at um, – Matt Dominguez is kind of interesting. He's a former first-round pick who's a non-roster invitee at uh, third base, and he had a – decent season last year he has some power uh, he's been mostly at triple a and uh hasn't really it never put together at the major leagues with uh he's mostly with houston in the majors but uh he, he could be someone who's somewhat interesting if if they need some more third base depth yeah i think that's kind of the in case of glass or in case of yeah in case of emergency break glass option right i, I, I think he's sort of the maybe slightly better version of michael <laughs> yeah maybe I, I mean we have old projected for double a right now dhing Right, um, right. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I, yeah. Maybe Dominguez becomes a guy if he if he absolutely lights the world on fire. Last year, he got a brief cup of coffee in the majors, but he hit okay in AAA. Um, yeah, I don't know. Strong defensively, so or yeah, solid, true. Supposedly, yes, that's the that's the reputation. I mean, personally, I would want to give Marco Hernandez some time before him, even. But yeah, uh, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think mean, also. It seems like uh, just breaking news. Uh, according to Evan Drellick, John Farrell likes Steve Selsky, so maybe he's one to watch. Yeah, it, it, did, have we have we heard anything yet about why on earth he's playing center field? He's a guy who's played I think twenty two games in his career since being drafted in twenty eleven in, in the outfield. In, sorry, in center field. It's. Uh, I mean, if you look at it, they don't have depth at center field. <laughs> so true, it's true. True. So it's like it literally because I mean, if Chris Young goes down. Because Holt can't doesn't play center, Holt only plays corner, so ah, they don't have center field. Remember, he's the one who bailed out Johnny Gomes a couple years back with that ridiculous catch. In the I don't field. think he played center field last year, though. Well, no, they so, had but... a they had a guy. Well, no, I know, but if they need, <laughs> if they need center field depth, I mean, who are they gonna? They don't have anyone in AAA who can well, play Betts, center field. Betts could potentially move over. Well, I think I, what they, well, I think what they I think they would move Benintendi. Is what? They yeah, they do. probably. But this is just this is the time to try things out. If yeah. you're gonna, oh, that's like, fine. It doesn't hurt. Versatility is key because, like, yeah, Castillo is, as we said, not coming up, and he, Celsi's already on the forty. He's the only other outfielder other than Chris Young, and is Bryce Brandt still on the forty? Uh, yeah, but, yes. I think he has no oh, options. Wow. So, um, but so they need someone to play who's going to have to play center field in AAA who's on the forty. So, well, I don't, so it, last year Bradley played 155 games in center field. Benintendi got three, Young got three, and Castillo got one. Ideally, yeah. you are not running Chris Young out in center field, and I think the presence of Benintendi means that you don't have to do that. Yeah, um, but the, I think, was, yeah. but they do need someone at AAA with some center field experience, so I don't think it hurts to give it a shot. I guess. I mean, they did that last year with Ryan Lamar, and all they did wind up using him for was one game in left field. Uh, and he pitched. <laughs> <laughs> don't slander Ryan Lamar's name. It's <laughs> Fair. Fair point. At least All he's right. still playing on, like, your UVA guys. Hey, you know what? I've, I've never claimed that UVA was the major league star factory that they would, you would think they would be, given how successful they've been in college. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right, well, let's move on uh, just to close this out with some listener questions. Uh, again, emails can go to podcast 
at SoxProspects.com. Uh, we, you know, appreciate all of your emails. We try and get to all of them eventually. Uh, so let's get through some questions, guys, shall we? Uh, some of these might be horribly out of date because they're all almost two months old, if not older. Uh, first question comes from Sam from D.C. He said, in the last podcast, you sounded like you were generally cool with the prospect hall given up for Chris Sale. Would you agree that it also lessens the sting of the Pomerantz-Espinosa trade if you look at it as a package deal? I hated to give up Espinosa, but I wouldn't have balked at a package of Kopech, Diaz, Basabe for Pomerantz, at which point Moncada and Espinosa for Sale seems like a trade most people would be fine with as well. Thoughts? Um, I think it's interesting for him to say that. Let's start – well – I'll say this, I think that premise, it gets dangerous because then you're just picking and choosing which trades you're looking at as package deals, right? Uh, you know, do you also throw in the Tyler Thornburg trade and all of that? Uh, let me let me put the question to you this way, guys. Would you have been okay with Kopech, Diaz, and Basabe for Pomerantz? Or perhaps maybe a little more realistically, let's just look at this. Would you have been okay with Kopech for Pomerantz, uh, Ian? Probably not. I mean, and I, I like Espinosa more than Kopech, but I just, I, we talked about it. The tra- I'm not a fan of Pomerantz for many reasons, including the fact that he had thrown more than what was like 130 innings in any year. And mm-hmm. it just, he had half a good season, basically. And that just, I, I'm not giving up a top 20 prospect or a top 25 prospect for a guy who has had half a good season and has no track record of health or, being able to sustain, you know, 200 innings in a season. Right. That's that's kind of a tough one because it depends, like, if you're talking about their respective values at the trade deadline, I'd say yes. But if you're talking at, the at, like, right now or, you know, in the off season, oh. Kopech's value went up because the AFL, uh, Pomeran's value went down because of the, the injury became known. So, um, so, you know, if you're talking about right now, I would say – Probably not, or uh, well, yeah, probably not. Especially with, you know, we're still not sure what's going on with his elbow. I would say no, but if we're talking about last trade deadline, I would say I would have definitely said yes at the, at the trade deadline. I guess it's tough to look back with, with the benefit of hindsight and know what you would have said, but I, that still seems like a lot to me. I mean, remember at the time, Kopech was well. Let, how, how far was Kopech? Because you know, I actually had pointed out to me the other day just how good Kopech got in Salem. I mean, he was starting to move up lists in Salem. It wasn't like, you know, I, I was kind of thinking of it as more of a, I mean, the AFL definitely did affect his prospect standing. I think he would have been more of a top 50 guy than a top 30 guy or top 25 guy. But, you know, at the time of the trade deadline last year, uh, and actually we may need to look at when the Pomerantz deal got made because that was early, right? That was, um, this is wonderful listening right now. Pomerantz. Okay, the Pomerantz deal happened on July 14th. And at that point, yeah, okay. Kopech had you know, only had three starts. Yeah, he'd only had three starts. One was with Lowell, and he walked four guys in four and a third innings. One, His first outing with Salem went four, was four innings, one hit, three walks, six strikeouts. And the next one he made before the trade was five innings, four hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. So that was a good one. Um, that was like right when he started going on a run. So it was right, right, right at the beginning of his value going up. Right. Although I, then I saw him on July the twenty third at Frederick, and he looked okay. 
uh, two starts later. So, uh, again, you know, it was maybe... like his worst. Well, one of his worst. Those worst. Those two starts in a row were his worst two at Salem, basically. Yeah, the Frederick one, and then the next one against Myrtle Beach, where he walked five and four and a third. Uh, yeah. So he was kind of out of whack control wise, which one would think, you know, starting the year off, uh, you might be, but. It really was such a small sample size with him looking back at it yeah. now. Yeah, maybe we would have been okay with it at the time. Yeah. Like admitting that they were desperate, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we were talking about him as a reliever really up until... Well, I mean, we still well, are to some degree. Still but, kind of are, yeah. But, but I think like we were more yeah, hard in that well. direction up until, you know, especially the AFL. A lot of good press started coming out but that was in shorter stints too yeah but all the strikeouts towards the end of the season and, and getting the walks under control but there were still big walk numbers there's a few starts without walk well numbers, he had the but... last two well and then his last two starts of the year was the playoff start yeah. the last regular season start i mean the last regular season start he didn't make it out of the first and the last play and the playoff start he went i don't think he made it out of the third so yeah, um, I mean, but that's that's who Kopech is going to be. Even if he is a starter, he is going to he could have like six good starts in a row, and then he's just going to blow up for one because he just doesn't have the command and or the consistency with the secondaries to you know be run it out every day and throw six seven solid innings. At the risk he's of making, be pr- go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I was going to no, say at the risk of making a lot of people angry, is he the next Clay Buckholt? I'm not going to say anything on that, but I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, he's better stuff than Buckholz. I just he doesn't have as good. As does he though? Finish. I mean, he's got a better well, fastball. But better the, when Buckholz came up, we were all in awe of his changeup yeah. and his curveball. Well, that's why I said Buckholz secondary pitches are much better than Kopex. At least when he was in the big leagues in his, his peak, and his control was better. But yeah, that's the thing. I I just. Yeah, I don't want to get on like Kopech. He's not with the system anymore. He's out of our purview. So, <laughs> but he can throw like 105 miles an hour. So obviously he's better. Of it's course, true. True. That's <laughs> true. It was actually 100. But I it's actually just, yeah. you know, like <laughs> way of a good argument. Well, no, I actually did get asked because in an, in an, in a workout with the White Sox or not with the White Sox with his private trainer, um, he hit. There was a video of him hitting 109 on a gun, and people just heard that part of it. And so I got asked about him hitting 109. I said, yeah, but it was because it was with a light baseball and he took a crow hop. <laughs> so, I mean, that's high, but it's not telling us anything we didn't know. I mean, Kopech has an 80 fastball. Like, everyone knows that. But it's yeah. just, yeah, the 105 talk is still one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Right, well, the fact that that became, like, a national story. Like, I saw it on SportsCenter. Right. That, like, Michael Cope, like, Red Sox prospects hits 105 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, at any rate, thank you for the question, Sam. Um, I think we may disagree with It is an interesting it's, question. It's though, an interesting actually. thought exercise, yes. Um, all right, our next question is from Mike, and he says, um, would a good topic for the podcast be the loss of good outfield prospects from the Red Sox minor system, Margot Basabe? Only Ben Attendee is left with no good outfield prospects in the top 20 besides him. Um, would We still seem to have a plethora of quality infield prospects. Best regards, Mike Renier. Uh Thank you for the question, Mike. Uh, I think we mentioned the kind of the lack of depth. As far as outfielders go, he is correct that right now there is no other outfielder in our top 20. We mentioned that Lorenzo Cedrola shows up in MLB.com's top 20, but uh, the next outfielder on our list is Mike Matheny at 26, so I think we all kind of agree is probably a Tate. Future. Or Tate. Did I say Mike Matheny? I'm sorry. Yep, Wow. that's sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike Matheny at 26, and I guess Tate. you should mention... God! <laughs> <laughs> That's twice. <laughs> Tate Matheny! 
at 26, Kyrie Washington at 28, and Yohan Ibar at 30. Uh, we'll mention all of them. Let's just give them all different first names while we're at it. Uh, <laughs> Mike Matheny, George Washington, and uh, uh, Manny Ibar. I was going to say Willie Ibar, isn't okay. he? Or no, Eric Ibar is the... Eric uh... Ibar was the one oh, I was yeah. trying to think of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, those are the three outfielders that we have ranked next, and they're all in the back half of the 21 to 30 range and have giant question marks. So lack of depth, yes, but I think there's one key thing that you need to consider with this. Matt, do you know what I'm thinking? I I don't. The fact that all three outfielders in the major league level are incredibly young and going oh, around yes. for at least yeah. five, that's, that's what I was gonna years, say. five more years. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I was going to say is just like looking at like the draft and international history, they really haven't drafted that many outfielders either who no. they've given money to. Like, the guys they take in the outfield. Like, last year, the only guy they took in the top 20 rounds, they took two outfielders and they gave them each 10K. Mm-hmm. And, like, the 2015, 2015, they took Matheny uh, and they gave him 500K in the fourth round. But other than that, they, I mean, Jerry Downs, who's a first baseman now, Nick Hamilton, who I might be released, I don't know. I don't think, I still have never seen him play, even though he's been in the system for two I think, years. I think, he was, I think he's been, been dinged up. But he was also a project. I mean, Nick Hamilton was a guy, basically a track star out of New York. Um, yeah. Who was committed to a JUCO. And they signed him out of high school for 100K. Yeah. And he's and still in Jag- CL. Jagger Rusconi is the second baseman well, now. He, well, he was then, too. Uh, I remember running into, um, I think I can say this, but I ran into Emil, Emil Sade, who's now in Arizona at the park and asked him after the draft, like Rusconi's playing second base now. And he said, yeah, why? And it was like, he was announced as a center fielder and he was extremely surprised by that. So. <laughs> I know that. And then like, yeah, Danny Mars, I mean, back in 2014, but they just haven't taken that many outfielders. Yeah. And even in the international, I think wasn't two of the guys, weren't two of the guys, they lost outfielders. Oh no, yeah. 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 yeah Albert, Albert Guimaro and yeah. Simon Mazzotti. Who, and those were the two right. highly regarded ones, I want to say. And Guimaro immediately started catching with Miami. Yeah. So part. it's, I think it's just, yeah, it's just a kind of a quirky thing. I mean, it's not quirky. They just haven't had that many outfielders and the ones they've tried to get in the system either haven't signed. Cause you know, there's all the, the guys they drafted back, you know, like the Ryan Bolt types, there were other, I think outfielders who, they they could have given money to but didn't. Who's the guy I'm thinking of? Uh, Jaron Kendall is who I'm oh, thinking yeah. of. Who's going to be from, <laughs> potential? Probably the yeah potential one one this year. Yeah, so they've they've drafted outfielders. They either haven't signed them or they've been taken away. So yeah. it's just yeah. We should mention the guys they haven't signed as well. By the way, like Jaron Kendall, they they drafted him in the 30th round in 2014, and he was a top 100 prospect during the year, and he was committed to Vanderbilt. He wasn't signing. Yeah, true. And so, that was the year they, they didn't have any money. What was the year they left a bunch of money on the table? Was that twenty? It was twenty thirteen because that was the year they were going to try. No, not tw- yeah, that was the Jordan Sheffield year. Yeah, um, and that was the Bolt year. Yeah, I mean Bolt was basically top guy insurance. I don't think he was ever really going to sign because he was another guy who was a top one hundred draft prospect who they drafted in the twenty second round, and his draft stock had actually fallen because he broke his leg during his senior year. So. They were going to have to give him top 15 money probably to sign him, and they couldn't have. They, they left 931 grand on the table, but that money was basically probably earmarked for Jordan Sheffield in the 13th round, uh, and they couldn't get him to sign. And sure enough, he was he a first-rounder this year, second-rounder? 
second rounder, second I think, rounder. by the Dodgers. So I think, though, that, that part of it definitely is, we've talked about this before, but the new draft rules have really impacted their ability to sign this type of talent. And I think we're going to see it a lot. Like, last year they got lucky they had that 12th pick. Or they didn't get lucky. They just were bad the year before. But, like, <laughs> this year they're going to be picking well, at the back of the first round and the back of every round. They don't have any extra picks. I would so, say they did get lucky that Jason Groom fell to them. That's true. A player so of that caliber. That's true. So it's just, it's harder. You can't find those high school guys. That Mookie Betts type in the fifth round is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, and the guys who are falling are because they're not signable. Like last year, for example, their 11th rounder, Nick Quintana. Like he fell, they took him in the 11th round. Under the old system, he signs guaranteed. Under the new system, they owned, what they had 114K, so they could have offered him 214. There was no way he was signing for 214. Right. So it's like it's just a lot more difficult for them to. You, it's harder to bring talent into the system these days, and we're not even talking about the fact that they couldn't haven't signed any international guys last year. Right. So there's no either new international guys. So it's just the way the new MLB rules have really limited their ability to bring in that young that young upside type player, and we're starting to see that. You know, I. I before this, we we still had like the remnants of those past drafts and those past international periods, but now we're starting to see kind of the those new rules going into effect, and we're seeing the depth really decrease. Well, we should I should mention by the way, Nick Quintana won Pac-10 Player of the Week in his first week as a as a college baseball player. I don't know if you guys saw that. I did not. <laughs> it's not. I mean, they've done a good job of drafting guys late in the new system. They just haven't been able to sign them like mm-hmm. as the Jaron Kendall types or JJ Matijevic. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's, he's at uh, Arizona also. It was pretty good. Yep. And um, as you said, Kitana Sheffield, like they've done a good job identifying both. They've identified talent. It's just, they just don't have the money to sign them anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matt, you were about to jump in with something. Well, I was just going to mention Danny Mars too. Some people like him. He, uh, Keith Law actually has him at 16 in the system, which is, very very high um oh, but he's too. he's a he's an older guy who's closer to the majors so i um, mean he played in arizona fall league speedy guy um that type of thing so you know i don't know we don't I, I don't think we see a lot there right now but um he's a guy to keep an eye on as far as someone closer to the majors well he's athletic i mean he's an athletic yeah. kid who if he puts it together um you know he played in the arizona fall league in large part because he missed a lot of the season with an injury um you know just to kind he's of make so- up some at bats He's someone who I, he actually was down at instruction. I was there and I was talking to a couple of scouts about him and I, and we were like, so what do you think of Mars? It's like, I mean, nice prospect, but he doesn't have any power. And yeah. so what is he? I mean, at best case, he's a fifth outfielder, fourth outfielder. Cause that, he's not a great center. Not a, I don't think he plays center field either. He, he has, but just in a pinch, but yeah, so he's a corner outfielder with no power and he's already 23. Like, you know what's that's yeah so yeah it's a bench guy but there's not you know you're not looking at a potential even a borderline starting outfield prospect there yeah and chris's comment about him not playing much this year he actually played the most he's played in his career 108 games but when you look at his career it's it's been all injury injury marred like 50 games a season pretty much um, well if you see him he's a very thin guy like he's it's not a very it's not a strong frame or something that it's not surprising that he gets hurt basically is yeah, what I'm trying when, to say. When, you, when you saw Salem last year and they would run out an outfield of Joseph Monhe, Danny Mars and Brian uh, Brian Hudson it was like the you know 350 pound outfield 
practically. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm exaggerating, but they were all very skinny. The guy, I, I Monhi's the one for me that I think he has a chance to take a step forward. He he was out of Puerto Rico. He's still 21. He's still young. I think he was a soccer and, player. Coming no, out that was it. Henry Ramos. Okay, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, he just he's someone who I've when I've seen him, he's he doesn't do anything great, but he's got a little more power than Mars. He can run. I think he plays center field also. And he's someone who I think could maybe take a step forward this year if uh, if things break right. Yeah, it's, well, we'll have to keep an eye on those guys. Thanks for the email, Mike, by the way. And we're going to have to speed it up, guys. We've got two more uh, that I want to get to, uh, and we're running way over per usual. Uh, this is from Stephen Martano, the editor at Beyond the Box Score, actually. And uh, he said, uh, Dave Dombrowski has traded away at least four of Boston's top prospects. He actually sent this email um, the day of the sale trade, but I didn't see it because it wound up in my spam folder in my Yahoo email. So uh, he said, knowing what you know now about the roster injuries, where they are on the winning curve, would you redo any of his early, of the earlier trades, presumably Dombrowski's? Um, which is it's an interesting question to me, I think, because I think it, the the one that this really bears on is the Kimbrel trade, primarily because I think we would all undo the Pomerantz trade in a heartbeat. Correct? Um, yes. But yes. but the Kimbrel trade to me is interesting. I still do not like the trade, but I will concede the following: one, the value and price of relievers has at least gone up, um, and I think Dombrowski may have either caused it by setting the market or saw it coming. Uh, I still think it was an overpay. Um, I still don't think it's quite as high as people think it is because the only other trades we have that we can compare the Kimbrel trade to are the Ken Giles trade, which I think, frankly, the the Astros may have given up more for less uh, in that case. And Wade Davis, tell me if I'm forgetting any any trades, guys, but Wade Davis to the Cubs this past offseason um, because I'm looking at closer trades during the offseason. Uh, well, the Chapman trade, though, also. But that was during the year, and I don't think you could compare that. I, ju- I mean, maybe you can, but, you know, Wade... I think, though, I think, you, I think you can, though, because okay. he's well, such a... His impact is so great, and he's such a high-end reliever that even if it's half a season, you know, he can make – it's basically like you're changing your team, like kind of like with Kimbrel, like you're getting like that lockdown guy. I, I guess. I mean, so then that was for Gleber Torres, right? And more. There was like and three more. other guys. And Torres is now one of the top – I mean, he was he's one of the top five prospects in baseball by pretty yeah. much consensus, right? Yeah. So that's huge. Wade Davis, who's injured, got traded for Jorge Soler, who's a major league-ready young piece – who could be pretty good. Um, I don't think yeah. his, his star's fallen a little bit, but not too much. Um, I mean, the value is clearly higher. I still think they gave up too much. I still am wondering where's the second piece that comes back, or if you needed to include either Logan Allen or Carlos Asuaje. Um, I, I, you know, I, I honestly, I would still, I would leave it intact as it is. I don't know about you guys. And I hate saying that because I don't love the trade. But would you guys redo any of the other trades that Dave Dombrowski has made other than the Pomeranz trade, which I think feel like is obvious? Matt, you want to go first? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I agree with you on, on the uh, Kimbrel trade. I think that Margot and Guerra I could live with. Um, those The other two included, it, it just seemed like too much. Maybe you have those two plus a lottery ticket, but... Um, I, I remember saying that at the time of the trade too. At least, at least it was one one player too many. 
Um, like, why do you have to include Logan Allen or even a Swahe? But, but uh, yeah, so so I agree with you on that one. Um, I I I don't think I haven't had too much too much problem with with most of his other trades. Like like Thornburg, for instance, this off season. Yep. It, you know, looking back on it, it, seems like kind of a lot for a guy who's not a closer. You know, it's like three three kind of young um, prospecty. You know, Travis Shaw obviously wasn't isn't still a prospect, but but. I kind of like that trade in the way that it wasn't anyone with a high ceiling. I I don't really think that they're guys who are going to make a big impact down the line. The type of guys who are replaceable, they like they they, they look nice in the in the top prospect list, but in the end, I don't think they bring the kind of value that um, that you need that you necessarily need for your team right at that time. Um, that's going to put you over the top type of type of thing. You know, Dubon could could develop into a star, but we think of him more as a bench player. Um, and you know, and, and the other guys, maybe Pennington is kind of the wild card, but, um, but yeah, so I kind of like that trade, even though it was three guys who seemed like a lot, you know, kind of a lot for a reliever when you add it all up, they're not really, it's not really like the parts are, are, are good parts, but they're not, um, sort of franchise changing or really something that's not replaceable. So I like how Dombrowski kind of, um, is able to spin off some of the assets that are that are high valued at the time and and look nice on on the prospect sheet, but but without giving up the really high end um, uh, guys that we think project best to the majors in, in well, trades like that at least. Yeah, and I, I agree, with Chris. I think it was an overpay, but I would also do it, especially with just. I think part of the shift is kind of stemmed from this is how baseball is going, and it goes back, I think, to that Royals playoff run. What was that? Two was that was two years ago, right? Yeah. Where the one, the one all, of sudden, of, yeah. it, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it just people started realizing that in come October, the bullpen is very, very important to your success, and you need guys who throw hard at the end of the game. And that offseason is when they went out and got Kimbrel, and right, and basically you have, you know, he identified the guy he wanted. He went out and got him. He was under contract already. And I think when you look at the contracts that were given to relievers this offseason also, you see what Chapman got, what Kenley Jansen got. Those guys got what? I think five years, 90 million a piece, I want to say. Five years, 80 million, something like that. You know, it's just the price of relievers just across the board has gone up. So even though I think it was an overpay at the time, it seems to have maybe, as you alluded to, might have shifted the market a little bit in trade negotiations. But also, he identified the guy he wanted, went out and got him, and there just aren't that many, you know, high-end closers that are available each year. And so, when when there is one, I guess you just have to go out and get them. Mm-hmm. Um, but and also in regards to what Matt was saying, I think it's pretty interesting too. I think Dabrowski's done a good job of trading guys at their peak value. Um, Matt alluded to it more of like the guys who look good on prospect list and to build the depth, but might not necessarily be impact players. Like guys like Dubone, even Kopech, um, who. They've traded and Gara. He's all they've. He's traded them like at their peak value. I would say trade wise, and I think that's you know that's something that I commend them for is that you know you you identify the guys that you want to keep in your system, i.e. Benintendi endeavors, and then you but you trade if the guy is someone that you like, but he's got a lot of value. Moncada, you trade him, and then and even Kopech, and then there's the other guys like Dubone. Gara, who had really good years, scouts, some scouts really like them. And if you find the right team, that guy is worth a lot more to them than they potentially are to you. And I think in both Gara and Dubon's case, that was kind of what happened. Like, Gara had no future with the Red Sox, with Ben and, uh, sorry, with Bogarts at shortstop. 
And so you found a team that really valued him. And Dubon, I just I don't see where he would play for the Red Sox either, especially since they don't they have Brock Holt in that super utility role. They have Marco Hernandez and they don't like really developing guys for bench roles. Versus a team like Milwaukee, we've said second division, you know, starter potential. That's team like Milwaukee fits that profile perfectly. And so he probably was worth more to Milwaukee than he was to the Red Sox. So I think he's done a good job in dealing guys like that to teams that value them more than maybe the Red Sox do. Right. Right. Um, well, thanks for the question, Steve. We, we got to move on, guys. So that ends our uh, email bag. Again, pro- podcast at SoxProspects.com. I th- I'm in spring training mode this week. Um, send those <laughs> in. We'll get to your questions. Uh, we, we're probably going to do at least one more before we head out of the Ford, if not two. So uh, prob- ah, probably probably one. Who am I kidding? It's probably going to be one more. Uh, so thank you to everyone who sent in emails. Uh, one thing we did want to get to that uh, we reported the story that uh, speaking of international free agents, former international amateur free agents, uh, Christopher Acosta is back in camp uh, with the Red Sox. He is in the Dominican at the Dominican uh, Academy working out with his uh, fellow teammates down there. And that's all we know. That's the extent of it. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, guys, and I think it's a matter of we need to see him pitch before we move him up. We've been provisionally ranking him first at number 40 and then at number 60 just for the sake of if none of this off-field stuff had happened. We talked about it before, but just a really quick recap. Uh, last year, during uh, extended spring training, uh, got in, had some kind of disciplinary issue, uh, got sent back to the Dominican Summer League, but it got on, basically got on a plane to the Dominican uh, without permission, I think is what happened first. Never reported to the Dominican Summer League team like they asked him to, and uh, we didn't really know anything from there. Uh, he, as far as we know, hasn't been pitching or anything or working out, and he's returned to at least workouts with the club down in the Dominican. Uh, that's about it. Uh, and any, I guess, Ian, you're the one who brought this up. Any thoughts on the return, at least for now, of Chris Acosta to camp? Yeah, I mean, when we saw him, the, I, I, see, I see him at spring training. He was someone who intrigued us, and that's why we moved him up into the top 20. And he's, he's got that repertoire. I think he was the number, the top Dominican pitcher um, back in the 2014 signing period. He was. So there was, I mean, they clearly I, they clearly liked what they saw, at least when he was an amateur, and identified him as a potential big-time talent if you're going to give a guy $1.5 million as a 16-year-old. But now it'll be almost two years since he's pitched in a game, and just you got to wait and see. I need to see him. You know, I'll believe it when I see him stateside throwing. Basically, is it's one of those things. In the current system, though, you'd think he, he's a guy who could move, you know, even close to the top ten ish because of you know how many people have left since then. But obviously, it's a, a long. You know, we we have to see something before he gets uh, gets up there. But uh, it's there's you know it's it's intriguing with with the way the system's at right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you can't really forget about the fact that he literally just kind of left <laughs> the team. Right. Uh, you know, that definitely says something about makeup issues. Um, For a whole season, too. It wasn't like a, a month or something. Yeah, he missed the season of, of, of he missed the season of development. Um, we have, I think our best guess is that he hasn't been working out, and I think we'll leave it at that. Um, it's, it's just a very interesting situation, but you're right. It, it, it's very easy to see the universe in which Christopher Acosta stays in camp last year and makes his continues a progression. Uh, it's very easy to see a situation where he's now a top 10 prospect in the system, especially given their lack of starting pitching depth, which we've talked about. 
Well, yeah, and I think it's point of reference. Like guy like Brian Mata, we have in the top twenty, and Darwinson Hernandez, we have in the top thirty. And Acosta was both was more highly regarded than both of them. Mm-hmm. And he, I want to say, when I saw him, he was like similar. It was like low nineties fastball, like big curveball. Like he showed some interesting stuff, and he had a great pitchers frame. And we have those guys like pretty high up. So he would definitely be someone who would be highly regarded if he had stick stuck with it last year. All right, well, with that, let's wrap this up. We're, we're already soups long. Uh, thank you, everyone, for downloading. Again, check us out on Twitter, at Sox Prospects, at SP Chris Hatfield, at Ian Cundell with two L's, at Matt Hegel, M-A-T-H-U-E-G-E-L. Uh, I think I got all of those right. Um, thanks to Mike Matheny uh, for this podcast, um, and, and Eric Ibar and George Washington, and... Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon, uh, hopefully within a week or two. Until then, uh, keep reading, keep watching, and thanks. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.